Uh, Again, my name is Jason Anderson. I'm the new engagement pastor here. And let me just, because this is a new role, let me help unpack what that really means. Uh, It's really about focusing on how we engage with people outside and inside the walls of the church. Uh, So if you invite someone to any of the four campuses, uh, what the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go to our website. They want to know what they're getting themselves into. They're probably going to watch a message online just to see if it resonates with them. And so what is that experience like? What does the future of online church look like for Hosanna? So that's part of what my responsibility is. But then also uh, inside the walls of the church, meaning what is the guest experience like? Whether it's your very first time here or you've been here for decades, what is the guest experience like? And then uh, how to engage people and help you take the next steps in your faith? Whether that's core courses, a small group, whatever it is, into an existing ministry, whatever it is, uh, it's really three uh, or four big buckets that I oversee or have a a hand in. It's rather holistic, um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to jump on board, and I join in with what Pastor uh, Ryan and Jen said last week, just to help, help all of us be a church that looks a little bit more like Jesus every single day. Uh, a little bit more about me. Uh, for the past 18 years, I have been um, in ministry at Eagle Brook Church. It's a multi-site church here in the Twin Cities. I started off as a small groups guy. Then I was part of the teaching team for nine years. And then they asked me to go launch the Woodbury campus. And that's what I was doing prior to joining Hosanna. Uh, I am married to my wife, Amy. We've been married for 28 years. We have three adult kids. Josh is 26. He's married to his wife, Taylor. We have a 23-year-old daughter named Samantha and a 22-year-old son, Cole. And we also have two cats (laughs) that I do not like. (laughs) And I could stand here and tell you the numerous sins that they have committed over the past 15 years. (laughs) But I finally understand why they do what they do. Because after an exhaustive uh, examination of scripture, it has become clear to me that cats are from the devil. (laughs) It is as if God created all things and said, it is good. And then Satan said, and here's the cat. (laughs) That's a joke. I'm kidding. If you have cats, if you are a lover of cats, God bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. All that means is that you have kind, warm, affectionate cats. And we have the exact opposite of that. Uh, Pastor Ryan asked me to bring the message this week. We're in between message series right now. And a quick sidebar, if you were not here last week and you didn't hear the message, you got to go back online and watch that message. Uh, Ryan and Jen brought a message together just about the future of Hosanna. It's going to help you better understand who we are and where we're headed in the future. So please go back and watch that message. But otherwise, Ryan just said, hey, in light of Thanksgiving coming up, bring what's on your heart. And that's why today's message is entitled, The Relatives Are Coming, because that's what's going to be happening for a lot of us, right? And so I just want to help better prepare us for the fun, funky, odd dynamics that can always take place whenever you bring all of family together. And here's how I want to get us started. Outside of the Bible, what do you think is the most read book in America? I'll tell you, it's never been on the New York Times bestseller list. It's never been officially reviewed. It's not all that memorable, and chances are you can't quote a single line from it. Yet, I believe 99% of us listening right now have read this book. I'm going to give you five, ten seconds 
to think about this. If you came with someone and you want to talk about it, feel free. You don't have to. But take a little bit of time. Ready, go. Okay, that's enough time. Come on back. Come on back. The second most read book in America is this. The Rules of the Road Driving Manual. If you have a driver's license, there was a season where you poured your life into this book. You devoted yourself into into this book because in part you needed to show a working understanding of signs, street signs. And there have been people that have worked really hard to create signs that communicate something without using words. And I'll give you a few examples of this. So why don't you just tell me what does this sign mean? Railroad crossing, correct, in this one. No parking, this one. Steep hill ahead, yep, in this one. <laughs> Good luck is right. Um, and that got me thinking, wouldn't it be nice if people wore signs? Like you walk into work and your boss is wearing a sign that said, had fight with spouse, proceed with caution. Or you get together with a friend and and that friend is wearing a sign that said, forgot my birthday, slippery road ahead. Or you're thinking about going out with someone until you see see their sign and it just says, dip. Well, the truth is, people are communicating things all the time of what they're thinking and feeling without ever saying a word. If you have a son or daughter at the dinner table and their shoulders are slumped over and they're just picking at their food, they're telling you something. If you have a coworker who is staring at you with their arms crossed, they're telling you something. In fact, 93% of all communication is nonverbal. Through eye contact, lack of eye contact, contact, gestures, body language, it's all communicating things like keep talking, stop talking, I'm happy, I'm sad, I wish I was someplace else, I wish you were someplace else. Unfortunately, not everyone is good at reading the relational signs that are being put out, which, again, kind of made me think it would have been nice if, kind of like driver's education, if we would have had to gone through uh, relational education first before entering the relational highway. That way, if someone is caught talking too long, too loud to too many people, they can be given a ticket and have to go back to relational school to understand the signs that they missed. And really, that is what this message is about. Because we were created for relationships. We were created to be in relationship with God and with one another. And as you know, relationships can be challenging. I mean, for sure. There are some relationships, they come really easy, really naturally. But some, they're really hard. And they're going to take work if they're going to work at all. Um, And I'm just going to kind of give you the punchline here ahead of time because we're going to look at what makes some people more successful at relationships than others. Why do some people struggle with friendships? They only have a few and the the friendships they have are very surface and very superficial. And in case you fall asleep or you want to leave early, I'm going to give you part of the punchline right now. I am convinced it comes down to emotional intelligence. The ability to understand how your behavior is affecting others. Your ability to manage that behavior and then therefore manage the relationships around you. The older I get, the more I'm convinced emotional intelligence is the absolute ballgame. When I look at people who are successful personally, relationally, professionally, 
They're really good with their emotional intelligence. And emotional, uh, intelligent people are really good at reading the signs. That's part of it. Now, the problem, well, I should say, before you think this is some kind of like self-help kind of message, that is certainly not true because there are examples throughout scripture that show relational intelligence taking place. Actually, starting in Genesis, a guy named Cain, he's having some problems with his brother and we're told he looked dejected. And look at what God says to him. He says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? God is reading Cain's face. Jesus was a master at this. Not only because he was God, but he's also because he was really good at reading people's relational signs that they were putting out. So he knew exactly when a, a disciple needed to be encouraged, a young rich man needed to be challenged, a Pharisee needed to be confronted, or a broken person just needed to be loved. So that's what I want to unpack today. The problem, though, um, actually, emotionally intelligent people, they're really good at what's called attunement, the ability to read and respond to the signals that other people are putting off. The challenge with a message like this is that people who are not good at relational intelligence don't know they're not good at relational intelligence. It's kind of like being tone deaf. Who's the only person singing off-key that doesn't know they're singing off-key? It's the tone-deaf person. And when it comes to the relational tone-deaf person, they end up on the outside of social circles. They, They just don't know that they're unintentionally, completely unintentionally doing things that are preventing other people from entering into meaningful relationship with them. They don't understand why they're not invited to more things, why they feel isolated or why they're not moving forward professionally. And part of the reason why this is so important is what Christian psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud says. He says the soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. No matter what characteristics we possess or what accomplishments we amass, without solid emotional connectedness, Without bonding with God and other people, we will slowly wither and die like a branch cut from the vine. Now, the truth is, we are all relational, relationally tone deaf to a certain extent. The good news is, this is an area that can be grown and developed. We can get better at this. And if you're a parent here today, This is something you want your kids to be good at, to grow and learn about and get better in because it will benefit them for the rest of their lives. And so the question of the day is this, what are the relational road signs that we need to pay attention to? And the first one is this, it's simply stop. Uh, Let's have a little mass confession uh, at this time. Uh, By a show of hands, Please raise your hand if you have ever rolled through a stop sign. Please raise your hand right now. Oh, very good. The Lord forgives you. And the, the people, most of the people who did not raise their hand are called liars. That's correct. Yes. Because at one time or another, we have all failed to, to come to a complete stop. And when it comes to the relational world, a relational stop sign means stop talking. Stop giving advice. Stop sharing your opinion. Stop hogging the verbal platform. Just stop. 
Solomon, who was widely considered the, the wisest person who ever lived, he must have had people who regularly ran relational stop signs in his life because look what he wrote in Proverbs. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> no truer words were ever written. Uh, in my previous church, I had a gentleman one weekend come up to me in between services and he asked if we could talk. And so we talked for like the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, or more correctly, I should say, he talked for the next 25 minutes. Outside of hello and goodbye, I didn't say much beyond that. He complained about his family and the, the odd dynamics that were happening there. He talked about his girlfriend and what she was or was not doing. He complained about his roommate. And then he went on to complain about his car, his finances, the weather, and how iffy his Wi-Fi was. It was like he took a powerful verbal laxative. And finally, at the end of the 25 minutes, he, he looked at me with a straight face and he said, why does God seem so silent right now? It was all I could do to not just go, because he can't get a word in edgewise. What does a relational stop sign look like? When people stop making eye contact with you, when they start looking over your shoulder for someone to come save them, when they physically turn their body away from you, those are all signs to stop talking. When the person's eyes glaze over and roll back in their head, that is not the time to think, ha ha, they have surrendered. It is a sign to stop talking. Seriously though, if, if we regularly run this relational stop sign, we may have an audience, but we're not gonna have many friends. And I know for some of you, you're, you're a leader. You're a leader of a small community. It could be a small group of students or uh, of adults, a small group Bible study, or maybe you lead a small group at work. You know nothing threatens that community more than someone who regularly goes through a verbal stop sign, who just dominates conversation. The most loving thing that you could do is pull that person aside, speak the truth in love, make them aware of what they're doing. And if they're emotionally healthy, it may be hard to hear at first, but they're gonna thank you. And I promise you, your group is gonna thank you. Second sign we need to pay attention to is this. It's yield. We need to follow the direction that Paul was giving the believers in the church in Ephesus when he wrote this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A yield sign relationally just means you don't always have to be right. You just don't always have to be right. So this applies when you're talking with another person, you have differing opinions and pretty soon tensions begin to rise and conflict is on the horizon. Before you say something you regret, before you say something that's gonna hurt the other person or hurt the relationship, that's the time to just take, to take a step back, take a deep breath, Calm down and yield. It's just time to yield. Instead of always having to be right. I feel like I need to unpack a little bit about what Paul is not saying in this verse. What Paul is not saying to us is that we need to be an emotional doormat. What he's not asking us to do is just take someone else's verbal abuse. Uh, we need to distance ourselves from people like that. We need to create healthy boundaries from people like that. But part of the context of what Paul is talking about here is, is that care more about the person, care more about the relationship than you care about challenging the other person, correcting other person, or just having your opinion heard. 
You don't always have to be right. Just yield. My wife Amy um, is incredibly, incredibly gifted. Uh, She is a leader of leaders. And early in our marriage, it quickly became apparent that when we had differing opinions and tensions began to rise and conflict was on the horizon, that she had this ability to think 360 degrees around an issue and know how to respond to any response that I would give. It was awesome. And so one day in counseling, we... Um, our counselor looked at Amy and, and said, what do your parents do for a living? And Amy told her, and our counselor said, hmm, I would have figured that one of your parents would have been a trial lawyer by the way that you're able to talk your husband into a corner. As we've gotten older and wiser, though, what we have discovered is it really hinges around how we're hardwired. Amy is a very fast thinker. She's a verbal processor. I need more time. I'm a slower thinker. I have to percolate on something before I'm ready to engage with it. And what Amy has done is yielded to me. Meaning, uh, what she'll do from time to time now is as I'm heading out the door in the morning, she'll go, hey, uh, over dinner tonight, I'd like to talk about this. Now I have time to think and process and I'm much more ready to enter into that conversation when I get home that night. Amy didn't have to yield to me. She could have expected me to speed up to her way of thinking, But because we're just fundamentally hardwired differently, that would have continued to put me on the defensive. And because she made this change, our communication is better and our marriage is stronger because of it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, some of you are leaders. Some of you know you have a a dominant personality. You know that you can bulldoze people if you want to. But for all that winning... What are you losing? Your marriage? Your friends? Your respect? Our relationships will be stronger when we learn how to yield. Third road sign that we need to pay attention to, relational road sign, is this. Road closed. Road closed. Take a look at this verse. It comes from Revelation 3.20, and this is Jesus speaking. It's a pretty amazing verse. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now just kind of park on that verse for a second. The almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving creator of the universe is telling us that he has handed the keys of our heart to us. He stands outside. He knocks. And he waits to see if we're going to answer He does not force his way in. And the same is true when it comes to our relationships. We cannot force our way in. A road closed sign means you're not getting in. And it usually comes up when we push too hard. It can can come up when we are using sarcasm too often uh, with a, a person or when we belittle them or when we're constantly criticizing or talking down to people, that's when a road closed sign can come up. A common example might be when a parent is berating a child or a teenager. It could be an issue that they've talked about again and again and again. As the parent continues to go after the child, the child may be there physically, but they are not there emotionally. They're not making eye contact. The body is turned away. They're not responding 
And at that point, yelling longer and louder is not going to make a bit of difference because the road close sign is up. There's something I, I wish I would have learned a long time ago. Again, we have three adult kids, and I wish I would have learned this when they were really little. I wish I would have learned how to lead with wow instead of how. Lead with wow instead of how. And let me give you an illustration to help unpack this. I grew up with dogs. Uh, my family and I, all through my, my youth, we showed dogs. And on the obedience side, not the Westminster best in show kind of side of things. So growing up, there were anywhere between two and six dogs in the house at any given time. But when Amy and I got married and we moved into our first apartment, it was like free at last, free at last. Because... I was free. I was free of not having to get up at 6 a.m. because the dog had to go outside. I was free of not having to be home by 5 p.m. because the dogs needed to be fed. I was free of dog hair, vomit piles, and endlessly scooping poop, especially in the spring after the snow melts. That's the worst. So after we got married and we moved in uh, to our first apartment, I said, no pets. Now, the bad decision to get the cats, that's another story for another time. But at that point, uh, we had made the decision, no pets. My daughter, Samantha, about a year ago, uh, just through casual conversation, she says, I can't wait to get a dog. I said, really? What kind of dog? She said, a bulldog. Now, in that moment, I had an opportunity to, opportunity to lead with, wow. Like, wow, say more about that. Wow, what made you land on a bulldog? That's what I should have said. Instead, what I said was, a bulldog? A, a bulldog? Really, do you want a dog that walks around going <laughs> all day long? Do you want a dog that snores like a freight train all night long? No, you do not want a bulldog. Do not get a bulldog. A road closed sign went up in Samantha's heart when it came to the bulldog. And it made her much less ready to even engage in the conversation with me around a bulldog because of the way I reacted. Start with a wow before we get to the how. And this applies to all of our relationships, but especially our kids. Because our kids, all the time, they're going to come to us with, with silly ideas and bad plans. And they're going to make outrageous statements. And before we jump right back in and tell them how dumb those plans are, how absurd that sounds, how silly that plan is, just pause and lead with a wow before we get to the how. I mean, certainly as parents, we have been given the God-given responsibility to help our kids with the, the how part of life. We're older, wiser, we see farther down the road than they do. But let's not do it in a way that hows our kids to death. And I'm speaking from experience here. Because the more we lead with how, the more a road close sign is going to come up to us and the less influence we're going to have in that part of our life, their, uh, that part of their lives. Because the truth is, we can guilt or manipulate or bully into someone, bully someone into doing something we want them to do that is never going to open up their heart. Only the person with the keys can do that. First three signs, stop, yield, road close. Those are all signs that we need to pay attention not to violate because if we regularly violate those signs, we're gonna struggle to have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. 
The final sign, though, is one that we need to be looking for. And it's a green light. And it just means go. It's when people's body language and gestures are inviting us into their world. It's the the genuine smile. It is the warm greeting. Or it could be a heavy sigh. Or when you ask the person how they're doing and they say, I'm okay. Those are all green lights where the person is saying, I want you to, I'm inviting you into my life and I want access to yours as well. And the sad thing is, often this green light can be missed just because we're too busy or we don't recognize it or we do recognize it and we ignore it. Um, my dad has been a great example for this, uh, this green light idea to me. Um, we both know a guy that we'll call Doug for the sake of the story. And Doug has always been a little challenging to communicate with. Uh, really good guy, but he's strong-willed, very opinionated. He's kind of never backed down. Even if he knows he's wrong, he's not going to back down from his opinion. Things got worse, though, uh, after he retired. Because instead of getting a hobby or volunteering somewhere, he turned to the Internet. And as you know, there is a rabbit hole that you can go down for any idea uh, or perspective that you have. And nowadays, connecting with Doug is even more challenging. Because you can start with a very normal conversation, but then as soon as you hear the words, I read on the internet, or I watched on YouTube, you knew you were about to take a really hard turn. And where other people are looking to get out of the conversation with Doug, my dad stays. He listens. He nods. Not in agreement but just to acknowledge that he's listening. He'll chime in every once in a while. And I talked to my dad one time. I said, why do you do it? And he said, because he doesn't have anyone else. He's got no one else to talk to. So while Doug's light is green and other people are trying to get out of that conversation, my dad leans in and he listens. We too need to be looking for the green light. And when we see it, I want to suggest a couple different things. Uh, the first way as I unpack is just listening. It's just listening. And it might sound overly simplistic to do that. But think about it. Our most valuable commodity is time. It's fixed. We only have so much of it. So how we uh, use it communicates a lot. When we give someone our undivided attention, it communicates value and worth to that person just like my dad does with Doug. Plus, it takes work, that undivided attention thing. In fact, I was reading a study leading up to uh, this message, and it says that the average person, their ability to give undivided attention is about 16 seconds. 16 seconds? That is not good news for a pastor, 16 (laughs) seconds. Uh, Because it requires us to maintain eye contact and genuinely listen, not Think about what I want to say when they get done talking and not thinking about what story can I tell that one-ups the story that they just told. It actually requires us to listen and then ask follow-up questions like, hey, say more about that or why are you so passionate about this kind of thing. One of the gifts that we can give when we see a green light is listening. The other is words. And when we give the gift of words, 
uh, it can be received as a gift. As a matter of fact, a very expensive gift. Look what it says in Proverbs. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Apples of gold in settings of silver. And what makes something expensive? Partly because it's rare. There's not much of it. And unfortunately, I think the word rare could describe how often we receive words of encouragement and affirmation. And again, I'm as guilty as the next person when it comes to this. Um, I know I've gone too long from complimenting my wife when she very playfully will look at me and say, say something nice. (laughs) And I appreciate that. Uh, In fact, she's given me an acronym to help me remember. The acronym is FAT, F-A-T, fill Amy's tank. Because we all have an emotional tank that needs filling. And one of the primary ways that we can do that is through words. Because our words really matter. And many of you, you already know this. Uh, You have been influenced by the words that have been spoken to you and over you. Some of you have achieved a vision or goal that you had for your life because someone encouraged you along the way, someone you loved or respected. While others of you are still dealing with the wounds that have come from those words. The words were wrong. The words were lies. The words were incorrect, but you believed them because it came from someone you respected. Our words matter. My youngest son, Cole, uh, he is what you would call a people person. He is very extroverted. Uh, You can drop him into any social situation, and he is making friends right away. He's hardwired differently than I am. He's much more like his mom than he is like me. I'm more of a planner. He's more of a, you know, kind of fly by the seat of his pants, moment by moment kind of guy. He'll make a plan, but if a better plan comes along, he's on to the next plan. And if I'm honest, that used to really, really bug me. And now it just bugs me. Um, (laughs) But what I've, I've had to come to understand is that he's just different than me and that's okay. But here's the thing. It is easy to withhold an aptly spoken word from someone who is different from you because it's easy to think they're just doing it wrong. And that's not true. They're just doing it differently than the way that you would do it. And so there was a conversation uh, not long ago that we were having just around schooling and his career and what next steps he was going to take. And there were two options. And the option that he was leaning toward was different from the option I was leaning toward. Yet I said to him, listen, I, I just want you to do something that you love doing. God has gifted you with leadership and charisma and empathy. So you're always going to connect well with people. You are a great kid. I love you. And I know you're going to be successful in whatever you end up doing. And he turned to me and he said, Dad, you have no idea what those words mean to me. You have no idea how long I have waited to hear those words. Our words matter. And as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, prompting and guiding us. And if we're going to listen, if we're willing to listen, he's going to lead us across paths of people who need an aptly spoken word. The coworker who just finished a big project, a child who gets a good grade, or someone who is just going through a really difficult time in life. Those are all going to be opportunities to speak an aptly spoken word of affirmation, encouragement, care, 
or love. Those are the four signs. And as I kind of wrap up this message, here's, here's the way I want to end it. It's going to be with a challenge. I really want to encourage you, take what you learned today and absolutely apply it on Monday. Definitely apply it on Monday. At work, at school, in your neighborhood for sure. But please, by all means, apply it at Thanksgiving this year. Because some of the relationships that we look forward to the most are our relatives. Some of the relationships that we look forward to the least are our relatives, either by marriage or by blood. So we have an opportunity to show the love of Jesus to our family members. And I know this can be challenging for some of us because they're family, they know, right? They know us. They know who we were. They know who we are. And I know for some of you, your family still can't believe you go to church. Seriously, they know your background. And they're like, right, you go to church. They can't believe that you are a follower of Jesus. So that just adds to the challenge. But this is an opportunity to show the love of Jesus and what God has been doing in your life. And here's where it starts. Following the encouragement of Paul when he wrote this, accept one another as Christ accepted you. Go into this Thanksgiving with a spirit of acceptance. Just accept your family, warts and all. In fact, honor them. There's a word we don't use very much anymore, honor them. And the the truth is you already know how to do this. Just treat your family the way you would if your favorite, favorite musical artist or actor was coming to dinner. Just treat them the way favorite musical artist or actor was coming to dinner. That's the way you want to treat them. And here's what I know about you because it's true about me. If Denzel was coming to Thanksgiving dinner, here's what you would not do. If Denzel was supposed to bring stuffing and he shows up with a dessert, what you're not going to say is, Denzel, I sent you an email about this. You were supposed to bring the stovetop, not a, a pecan pie. No one even likes pecan pie anyways. Come on. You're not going to do that. Instead, what you're going to do is, Denzel, so glad that you're here. What what did you bring? A a pecan pie? Oh, sure. You were supposed to bring the stuffing, but that's okay. We got so much food. We don't don't even know what to do with it all. And did you make this yourself? No? You got it from the quick trip? (laughs) Well, it's going to be delicious. Come on in. We're so glad that you're here. That's the way, that's how you honor people. So just honor your family. And then observe the four relational road signs. Don't run through verbal stop signs. Don't hog the verbal platform. And then yield. And tensions arise when conflict is on the horizon. Just take a step back for the sake of the person and the relationship. And then observe road closed signs. Don't try to push your way through it because all you're going to do is hurt the person and the relationship. But be looking for a green light because it means go. Be ready to give the gift of listening and or words. And if we do this, not only are we gonna look a little bit more like Jesus, but we're gonna take a step towards the kind of relationships that God wants for us. Deep, caring, life-giving relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm speaking to myself when I say, help us do exactly this. Families can be so rewarding and so challenging at the same time. So Father, as we approach Thanksgiving, it is our collective prayer, help us be the 
a representative of Jesus Christ to them. Help us point them to you simply by our actions, simply by loving them, accepting them, honoring them. Because Father, ultimately, this is family. And as challenging as it can be, it is family. So Father, as only you can do by your Holy Spirit, continue to prompt us and guide us as we enter into these conversations, as we step back into these relationships, Father. Because ultimately, we want this to be for your glory so people see you through us. That is our prayer. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.